Blog Talk Radio. It's election day in America, and the Backroom Politics team will provide up-to-date and real analysis of key races in the midterm election cycle. What's at stake in this election? Can the GOP actually take the Senate? Also, is these midterm races a report card on the president? We'll also look at how both parties alienated millennials and why that could be a critical area. This and tell me a story this week on Backroom Politics. Live from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics. To join the discussion, you can call toll-free 1-877-662-3713. And now, the moderator of Backroom Politics, Justin Russell. Afternoon out there in Radio Land. It's Tuesday. It's Election Day in America, which means it's time for the most popular t- political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Joining me as they do on a very light turnout, voter-wise. Hopefully our team is voting. But around the table with me today is they are every Tuesday to my 11 o'clock. He is the former executive director of the Democratic Party of the great state of Maryland and Fox Lo- 20th Century Fox lobbyist. He is Carl Tubin. Hello, Carl. Hello, Justin, and I hope everybody out there voted today. Yeah, absolutely. To my one o'clock across the table, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents. He is longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, and a very distinguished and handsome fellow from the Stipson Center. He's the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hey, uh, only vote if you're going to vote to the right side. Hey, oh, it gets gets that way already. And to my right, ironically, he is longtime political operative and a bar member of the District of Columbia and several other states. He is political operative Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. I'm seeing nothing but blue today. Uh, well, if you take off your glasses, maybe that might help. Those blue-colored shades. No, literally out there. If you saw Dan Lipner. He has blue-colored sunglasses on. No wonder you see only blue. Uh, joining us across the table, we have a special guest today. He is the chairman of the Republican Party for the District of Columbia, Chairman Ron Phillips. Ron, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Justin. Gentlemen, good to be here. And like you, I'm seeing a lot of blue Democrats everywhere <laughs> I look. <laughs> well, it is Washington, D.C., for Christ's sake. Hey, uh, we've got a lot to talk about, obviously, unless you've been under a rock for the past week. Today is election day. It is midterm elections here in the uh, United States. And as a result, it is up for grabs. Everybody is making educated guesses and everybody's looking at polls and exit polling. It's election day and it's kind of like our Academy Awards here in DC. But that being said, one of the big, big questions of What's happening here nationwide is what really is at stake here for this midterm election? 
Alan Moore, let me start with you. What, we've got a lot of focus. The media cycles have been all about midterm, midterm elections. What's truly at stake here nationwide? Well, the nationwide, I think there, there's issues beyond who takes control of the Senate. That's the big focus in Washington. How much damage, uh, how, how damaged is our president? What will the political makeup of the Congress uh, be, and will it be able to work with, uh, uh, with a president who clearly has, uh, uh, has been damaged, some, some self-inflicted wounds and some things that just, uh, uh, just happened with, uh, with the economy and what's going on in the world? Um, so I think that the big question is, uh, it, well, the other question is, what, what sort of turnout are we going to see? Because there's a big important question of how engaged the public feels in this entire process. If turnout's really low, that's fairly depressing for everyone. Um, the president, uh, who not liked the Congress, liked even less, and people not being engaged in, uh, in their government, is always a bad thing when we have a government that affects everybody's life. Well, Dan Lipner, you know, we, we've heard a lot about the turnout. And I was reading something with our friends at Politico earlier where, you know, if we look at the turnout in midterms, traditionally they're, they're lower than a lot of other Western nations around the world. But we're seeing a wave almost today of new and energized voters, maybe for the Republicans, some for Democratic candidates, but is the anticipation on the Democratic side that we could see a, a strong wave of energized midterm voters for the first time in a long time? It's plausible. I haven't seen the same stories you've seen, Just As a matter of fact, I've seen numbers that suggest these turnout, this turnout is going to be lower than it was four years ago because of all the negative campaigning and the lack of a singular issue other than the love or hatred of Obama being the the the, the issues at play. So it's it's still to be seen, but I I think the actual takeaway from this is going to be our broken politics. Chairman Phillips, let me let me ask you. You know, we hear Dan Lipner talking about the broken politics, and there's no question that this has been one of the most negative campaign cycles we've seen in a long time. Some of these ads have gotten absolutely vicious. At a time when we thought that the country was looking for civility and statesmanship, we come across this vile cycle. Is, is this a cycle that we're just going to continue seeing? Is this what gets votes in? Well, I, Justin, I mean, we're in the era of hope and change. That was very, <laughs> that was very party-centric, Ron. No, I mean, look, every political cycle going all the way back the Thomas Jefferson and John Adams has had negative ads. It is there's not an unusual occurrence in American politics. And this is certainly has changed over the years in the modern day of technology and campaigning. I mean, you're looking at the number one, you know, you've got corporate interests now that because of recent Supreme Court rulings are allowed to participate heavily and direct political uh, ads based off of corporate donations. You have the majority leader of the United States Senate who has the largest 
political action committee contributing to the most negative ads throughout the entire country that has been recently exposed. Um, so it's on both sides. I mean, it, it's not any, there's no one area of American politics that has really changed other than the growth of the dollars that has been expended. And that's due to the fact of how the American economy modernization of communication has increased over time. So, uh, yes, there are some very ugly ads out there. Um, I mean, I, I still think back. I mean, she obviously is not going to get elected tonight, but uh, the Democratic candidate for governor of Texas ran an ad against her handicapped opponent who uh, – happens to be a gentleman who is in a wheelchair and ran an ad of an empty wheelchair in, in an ad. I mean, we've, we've crossed, there's areas that we've crossed barriers and lines. And yes, there's a lot of negative ads, but also from the standpoint, there's also been a lot of ads talking about the politics of what divides the country and what divides the country on what issue basis. And so what you declare necessarily is a negative ad, not, might not necessarily be a negative ad, but might be a very... Strong well, let me ask. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Ron. I mean, when we talk about the, you know, the the negativity of ads right now. I mean, we'll take for example the empty wheelchair. But the, the Republicans have done the same. The the, the reality is, it, it, you know, we're we're not talking about the issues directly anymore. It it just seems that it's not sexy anymore. And the parties have kind of almost said, thrown their hands up in the air and said, okay, whatever the will is. I don't, I don't buy into that. I, I think we are talking about the issues. Uh, the issues are, the issues are, there's a great divide in this country that goes along partisan and ideological lines on the views of how individual American lives are being impacted on a variety of issues, dealing with health care, taxes, go down the list. Um, I think that what you have occurred during, uh, during this particular election of 2014 is where you have a president in a midterm election in his second term in office, and it traditionally has always been a negative time for that president's incumbent party. Occurred during George W. Bush's time, it's occurring now under Barack Obama's time. And so I don't see these as tremendously unusual circumstances that are occurring, but certainly I think that there are a lot of issues that were compar comparativeness, you can't always take comparativeness in issue positions and immediately say, oh, well, that's negative. I, I don't buy into that. I Dan Lipner? Well, I mean, it seems to be a little bipolar, though, because in, for, in Alaska, for example, as well as in, in several other states, uh, the, the race in the minimum wage is on the ballot, yet, and a, a traditionally a Democratic issue, yet these are states where, and that are also incredibly close that at, and almost exclusive or consistently all of the Republicans come out against minimum wage, yet it's predicted to pass with with some room to spare every place that's on the ballot. How else can you explain that other than the electorate is kind of tired of the candidates and the the non conversation on the issues? Uh, it just came out today that the two top issues that voters care about are apparently the economy, almost nobody's been talking about it, and gridlock in Washington. Uh, and if anything, most of the ads that we've seen out there have been exclusively about continuing the gridlock. Nobody's been talking about reaching across aisles and actually looking for a solution. Carl Tuvin. Well, <clears throat> first of all, 
this has been a very, very hard-fought campaign. And <clears throat> I think the polls are, are in many, many states reflecting that. Uh, <clears throat> take Maryland, for an example. Uh, Hogan has talked about issues, talked about tax, talked about everything about the O'Malley administration. Two things. Number one, Brown, who had an 18-point lead at the, at the beginning of the first Sunday poll, <clears throat> that lead has dwindled. And uh, at this point, I'm not sure he's going to be able to pull it out tonight. Uh, <clears throat> when, when a campaign doesn't talk about issues, doesn't give a, a, a vision of, of what they want to do and what they feel the future is for their state or their country, that's when a campaign really fails. And a lot of people in this campaign have not done that. And it's going to be very interesting to see how everything shapes up at the, at the end of the, of the night or in January when we probably will, we might know who, who was on the Senate. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to, Ron Phillips, I don't want to disagree with my good friend from Maryland. I am the District of Columbia Republican Party chairman, not the Maryland Republican Party chairman. But having Maryland right next to us and being able to see a lot of their advertising and see what's been going on, I, I, I disagree a little bit. I think Hogan, uh, the Republican uh, nominee, has been talking about a big issue that's occurring in the state of Maryland. That's at a point where taxation in the state of Maryland has been on a total steady increase, so much so to the point now where you're seeing Democrats voting Republican because they believe they've been taxed enough or taxed too much. So I don't I don't necessarily disagree that issues are not being in play here. I think that it, 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 each party has their view of what are the issues, and then each party is advancing those issues or not advancing those issues, as some cases may. And that's what you got to look at. So I mean, from the standpoint of you get into a you get into a philosophical debate of what are the issues, what aren't the issues, that can break along party lines as well. Dan Lipner. Um, I, I, I'm really thinking that this is, that we're we're going to see uh, what everyone's offering at the at the end of this election, and I, th I think we're going to see uh, something different. Uh, we're going to see that in 2016, the issues at play are actually going to be uh, if Republicans do take the Senate, you're going to see a backlash, and if impeachment goes forward, since the lawsuit in the House has not gone forward, and I see the chairman shaking his head, and I agree, I think it's insane. However, there is not a quiet minority in the Republican caucus in the House that is begging for this. And if that goes forward, you're going to see politics of crazy that just continues to go forward. Let me, Ron Phillips. Let me, let me just say something real quick. Uh, um, I, I always get a kick out of the fact, and this happened today around noon after I got done working the polls this morning for our Republican in District of Columbia. The lead story on CNN was, well, let's talk about how the Republicans are going to lose in 2016. If there's ever a sure sign that the Republicans are going to have a very good night is when the liberals immediately go, okay, let's talk about 2016. We're not going to discuss what's happening right now, less than three hours away on the elections of 2014. Let's talk about 2016. Look, 2014 is a list of issues that are out there. People are debating those issues and moving forward. The big thing is you can't sit here and tell me that there is not – a mood in this country that they believe the country's going in a wrong direction. Dan Lipner. But, Mr. Chairman, I would ask you, what is the Republican agenda? We haven't seen much out of the House. And even if you had both chambers, what would the agenda be? 
Uh, we know repeal Obamacare is out there floating in ethos, and you have to admit there is a, a bit of a voice of impeach Obama as well. But what else is on the agenda? And I'm asking you as the chairman of the D.C. Republican Party, what I, else is the agenda? Ron Phillips, impeachment is a red herring. I mean, that's that, that that's ridiculous. It, 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 you can you can sit there. I mean, it's just like saying, well, you know, there's a section of the Democratic Party that want to ban all nuclear weapons in the world. It, it, it's a red herring. Look, the fact of the matter is what we've got going on in the country today is the fact that we do have a divided government. And, and we do have gridlock. And the reason why we have gridlock is because the House has passed over 60 pieces of major legislation, and they've all died in the Senate without ever being brought up for a single vote. And the fact But, Mr. Chairman, let me just stop you right there. I mean, a lot of a lot of people on the outside, particularly your moderate independents, and, of course, the Democrats are going to say that, they don't, they don't blame broken government, they blame the Republican leadership in the House as being a party of no. But how do you how do you call us a party of no when we pass legislation out of the House, send it to the Senate, and it's not even brought up for a vote or discussion or debate? One one would question one would question, and we've heard this before throughout the Beltway, that the argument stands as look, they're passing stuff that is strict Republican agenda. There's no there's no ability to actually discuss or compromise on this. It's an all or none but vote just, that's going to the Senate. Justin, that's the exact reason why the Founding Fathers set up a dual chamber legislative system, where legislation comes from one body, it goes to the next body, and it's deliberated on, and then compromise is made, our votes are being made. It goes to a conference committee. The legislation is passed out. When one chamber passes legislation, the other chamber refuses to bring up the the issue at all. Like you immigration reform you from the Senate to the House. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But you can't say there's one versus sixty. So you you can't sit there and say, oh gee, the the one thing that's going to happen after tonight, when the Republicans do take the United States Senate is the fact that you're going to have a Republican-controlled House, you're going to have a Republican-controlled Senate. There will be legislation that passes both houses, and it will go to the president's desk. And now the president of the United States, for the first time ever, is going to have the opportunity to now have to make decisions as a chief executive and actually have to work with the legislative body, which he hasn't done Carl, in six years. Carl Tubin. Well, first of all, if the House worked like the House should have worked. The Republicans and the Democrats on, on the committees who, who uh, bring up this legislation would have worked together and compromised and sent bills possibly to the Senate that the Senate could take up. And, and, but when you only have one party, and my party was uh, uh, afflicted with this when it was in the majority, when you only have one party writing the legislation and, and Justin says putting all the conservative principles in and then they said it to the Senate, they don't want to take it up. My second point is that Ted Cruz has already said that no matter what happens, if there's a majority in the in the uh, in the Senate of Republicans, he's still going after Barack Obama, President Obama. And and that is going to be a very, very negative thing. Alan Moore. Yeah, what, what Ted Cruz says is maybe newsworthy and mostly irrelevant. He doesn't run the Senate. He won't run the, the Senate agenda. It's like saying, gee, the Republicans are going to impeach. 
Dan wants to, to say because there's two or three people who've talked about it. So, gee, that must be on the agenda. But as the chairman says, that's a total and complete red herring. So is Ted Cruz's comments. Cruz can do whatever he wants, but he does not control what the Senate does. And what it, the only people that are really talking about impeachment are Democrats wishing, hoping, and praying that the, there would be some actual movement to impeach because the country doesn't want it and, it and it would never happen. Now, if we have a Republican Senate, which I believe we will, there's going to be, it's not the, the House that has to work with the president because the House historically doesn't work that well with the president. It typically follows by, uh, by a pure majority, the party in power. And I witnessed that starting in the 70s when I worked in the Senate. It's the Senate that has always been the ones that had to compromise, where you had the you, increasingly now the need to come up with 60 votes to get something through the Senate. That doesn't change. If the Republicans have a 52 or 53 seat majority, they will have the chairmanships, they will be able to set the agenda, but they won't have the 60 votes that they need. It's just that instead of having Harry Reid, who became increasingly strange and weird and dictatorial in, in recent years and participating in fundamental changes to Senate rules as well as processes and procedures, there's a chance that that the Republicans, with Mitch McConnell, who was around in the old days, and some of the other, and a handful of senators still left around in the old days, who have some respect for the the, the history and the purpose of the Senate, which is call up bills and allow some number of amendments and let the chips fall where they may. Oh my God! And then if you don't like the result at the end then you can filibuster. But Harry Reid has turned that process completely upside down. And, and there's hope, and maybe it's naive, distant hope, because so much damage has been done by both parties, but particularly in the last, uh, in the last six years by, by the Harry Reid-led Senate and massive turnover in the Senate, more than half of whom never served under a Republican majority. I think there's some chance that the president and the Senate Republicans working with some Democrats and reaching across to the House might get a few things done on tax reform, on immigration. Not so, not always likely what might have happened a couple of years ago, but what could happen now? Dan Lipner. Uh, well, a couple of things. First, um, I, I, I would welcome a functioning legislative branch. I, 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 I hope you're correct, Alan. However, the abuse of the filibuster, and I think even you would have to admit, it was abuse. Lindsey Graham said there are several qualified candidates that should have gotten votes up or down, absolutely, and eventually it happened. And that was part of the reforms that you were talking about, that, that Harry Reid went with what was referred to as the nuclear option to actually change the system because of the abuse of the filibuster. And how has it worked out since then with the longest backlog of nominees in history because they unilaterally changed the rules? That was an idiotic move. It was, it was a huge... Setback what would, for the what, Senate. What would the, what, what would the solution have been? The ATF went without a director for years simply because of the the Senate's inability to get past the fil filibuster. We 
We don't have a Surgeon General, which was a surprise to several Republican members of the House when Ron Klain was appointed, because again, the filibuster in the Senate. I mean, there is a reoccurring theme here, and the Senate, because you, you can't when you change when you change the rules unilaterally, and then later say, "Gee, nothing's happening." They changed the rules. What they didn't realize is they didn't get rid of the filibuster. They changed the rules on how to shut down a filibuster and set every nomination in government back. It was stupid. There was potential for working across the aisle. So you're suggesting there was no backlog prior? Is that what you're possibly saying? Hold on, hold on. The backlog that, that existed prior was comparable to what we'd had in the Bush administration. And yet we are still missing people in, no, 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 in, in the courts, they in the executive branch. They changed the rules. They changed the rules. Don't you understand? If you change the rules, there are consequences that have to be paid. You don't get to change the rules. There are consequences to hell hold on, hold on. Of everybody and then say, well, those are the new rules. Come on. Come on. Let's live with them. It's All like, right. no I mean, way. Okay. No I, way. Mean, I mean, let me ask this question, though. Dan Lutner, if you do have a situation where you have the Senate being taken over by the Republicans, the GOP have to get a net gain of six to actually take control, full control of the Senate. Does does the argument that we're posing right now go away because we've got both sides in Republican hands? Absolutely not. I think it becomes so much worse. Uh, the fact that uh, Joni Ernst is going to be joining, potentially joining the team of Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, and Rand Paul um, creates a, a Senate that is even more problematic. But, uh, but uh, I mean, but hold on, hold on. Uh, Chairman Phillips, at the same time that we hear... I'm glad we know Joni so well. Yeah. We but let me, let me go Joni. back... Let me go back and, and, and ask Chairman Phillips, Ron, hold on, hey, hey, hold on. Chairman Phillips, when we sit there and we hear our Democratic colleague here, Dan Lipner, obviously he got an injection of party partisanship from Debbie Wasserman Schultz today. Uh, we hear about the Joni Ernst and the Ted Cruz's and the Rand Paul's. What we don't hear is the moderates, Scott Brown. We hear the moderates like Kelly Ayotte. We hear other moderate Republicans in the Senate that tend to be practical, that tend to be willing to compromise and work on both sides of the aisle, that being led in many instances by some of the old school Republicans like John McCain, for example. When we hear that story, the rhetoric doesn't help the political environment in the Senate or throughout Congress to help there be some sort of solutions instead of just finger pointing. Well, two things, you know, Dan, there's a reason why they called it the nuclear option. When Harry Reid went for his power grab, which was an unprecedented power grab that everybody recognized, it does have a negative effect on how the chamber is going to function from that point. You don't have an unbridled power grab and not have you know, a breakdown in the way that congeniality or cooperation occurs. So when you take out the, the usual decorum of the United States Senate and throw it out the window, you're going to have a body that is going to have unfortunate repercussions. The second thing is the fact you don't paint the United States Senate based off a couple of quotes. I mean, it's like me sitting here saying, well, you know, George McGovern, Hubert Humphrey, you know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. From the standpoint, the standpoint of where we're going in the new era of a Republican House and a Republican-controlled Senate 
is the fact that legislation is going to come to the floor for a vote. There will be votes on these pieces of legislation. The Senate will function as always because Republicans, when we take control, we don't do what the Democrats do. We revert back to a more civil discourse in the United States Senate. The Senate has always been a deliberative body. The House Chairman, let, let me interject. Wait, hold on. Let me interject something, though. You know, when we go back, I mean, we, we do see some Republicans, and I, I will call out, uh, you know, Ted Cruz, Pierce, and others, who come out and say, look, no matter what happens, if we take control of the Senate, it is going to be our will and pleasure to go after all of the bad policies that the president is putting forward. That doesn't sound like compromise, though. Yeah, but well, you're, hold, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Chairman, hold on, Chairman Phillips. But you're you're taking the views of one senator and trying to apply it to an entire body, which is I think is very unfortunate. Look. Each, each party has their own cast of characters and their own strong will par partisan views, and they're going to play out. The fact of the matter is, as we have discussed before, the fact that Ted Cruz is not going to be the majority leader of the United States Senate, and that there is going to be a functioning majority which will work along the lines of trying to bring a discourse. You're going to have partisans on the left. You're going to have partisans on the right. As well from the media. But the one thing that we're not going to have anymore is where the majority leader of the Senate is personally going to kill every piece of legislation before it's ever discussed. We're going to have a deliberative body in both chambers, and then we're going to send that document to the White House. Okay, we're going to go, we're going to, go to break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussions on what's happening in the Senate, what's going to happen throughout the country, and a couple of key governor's races that everybody's got their eye on. This is Backroom Politics Live on Election Day from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, for those who listen to Backroom Politics and know about Shelley's Backroom, they think of it as some sort of cigar bar where politicians go to smoke their cigars and drink their martinis. Actually, what you don't know about Shelly's Back Room, Shelly's Back Room has one of the greatest menus in the city. I kid you not. You've got the campfire wings, famous campfire wings, one pound of roasted, not fried, seasoned marinated jumbo chicken rings served with their own special honey mustard sauce. Folks, if you like chicken wings, You've never had the Campfire Wings. Best wings in the city, bar none, I guarantee. If you don't like it, Al, you can call us up and tell us that you don't like it. Uh, you have daily specials. Come down on a day when they have the Justin Chicken Sandwich. The sandwich named after me. Breaded chicken breast, provolone cheese, thick-cut bacon on a Kaiser roll served with a honey mustard sauce. Folks, it doesn't get more artery-clogging than that. But it is worth it. Come down to Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., the premier sponsor of Backroom Politics.
we're back here live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's our annual election day coverage here on Backroom Politics, and we've got some great debate going on today and some great coverage going on with our friends at CNN, Political and, Politico, and Bloomberg. But let, let's talk a little bit about some of the key Senate races that we're looking at. We talked a lot about it before, but it seems that from the time that we talked this time last week till today, the momentum uh, Carl Tuvin has shifted from being, yeah, they might squeak out a slight majority to this is going to be a bigger win for the GOP than even the GOP thought. How, is that, how did that come about here, Carl? Yeah, but the thing is, is that in the last few days, uh, some of that has shifted back again. Uh, some of these polls are, are, are really too close to call and uh, in a lot, of, a lot of the races. Unfortunately, when I woke up this morning and turned on the TV, First thing I heard was that the machines in North Carolina, uh, once they made their their votes and they they hit the review button, people who had voted for Hagan came out coming, and so you've got oh you've got that this this is going to be a very long very long uh, process. You've got the GOP sending lawyers into all the states that they think they're having problems with. You have the Justice Department going into all the states that they think there could be civil rights. Uh, uh, oh, in Georgia, for example. Georgia right. Georgia. So this is this is really going to be a, a long evening and and uh, could be very exciting for some people and not for others. But, Alan Moore, when we look at, for example, the Louisiana race, the polls right now show – uh, nobody in that race having the 51% majority able to capture the seat outright. Indications are through early, early polling, which, as we've seen in the past couple of years, I can pull a number out of my rear end and get some more accurate polling sometimes. Please don't, Justin. I know. Yeah, it's, not not, it's not a pretty picture. But is, is a runoff in Louisiana that much of a stigmas test of how much support each or either party is going to get? No. Louisiana is a is a, a case in and of itself. It has this open primary on election day, and in order to win, you have to win a majority. And there are three candidates who are going to gain votes, a significant number of votes. Louisiana is the one case that that I think won't be resolved by the you know the next couple of days, um, and and it will be resolved in January, and it will be a runoff between uh, Mary Landrieu and. And her Republican challenger, whose name is not coming to my head, Cassidy. Cassidy, thank you. Um, and I think this is uh, Mary Landrieu's last race, but it's her last race because the third part, the, the third candidate, is going to uh, take enough votes away to force the the uh, the runoff. But I think that that her days are over. I I know her a little. I like her. I have respect for her. But I think that she is no longer. A fit uh, with with Louisiana and the Times, and I think that that uh, that her very powerful uh, family connections, which have helped her along the way, uh, aren't going to be strong enough to overcome the wave. I think what's interesting about tonight, and the, you know, the polls polls are, are 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 interesting, and we watch them, and we reflect on them, and we look for trends. 
it's harder and harder for, for these pollsters to be accurate because so many people use only cell phones or mostly cell phones. They don't answer their home phones. A lot of these pollsters call home numbers. Uh, they have to call a lot more people. It's just the, the, the process has become a little bit polluted, and then we don't know who's actually going to vote. So uh, what, what, what I think is interesting is tonight it, it, it's either late, 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 late because the Democrats squeeze it out, or it's early, early, early because the Republicans swamped the process. Dan Lipner? I, I think it may be the latter. Dan Lipner. No, I, I think the real test case for tonight is actually going to be New Hampshire. Uh, but by any measure, Shaheen has actually done a good job for New Hampshire, and Scott Brown is almost by definition a carbon bagger, yet the race is surprisingly close. If Scott Brown should actually knock out Shaheen, um, then I need to retract my, <laughs> my, my, my previous belief that uh, we're going to hold the Senate 52-48. Uh, if that happens, then we're going to see some, but, some other but, dangerous things but Dan, but Dan, I mean, there was a lot of hope in the Democratic Party that there could have been a win in Kentucky, that that should have been a key race. They put a lot of effort. They put a lot of money into Grimes, pulled back. Numbers started fluctuating. They went back in, all in on Grimes. Did did the Democratic Party actually lose opportunities to capture some of those close seats in total? Uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, but how, how does that happen, especially with a seated president and a machine that everybody thought was on a roll, especially after the 2012 elections? Well, I mean, it should be noted that, that McConnell has responded well and Grimes when push came to shove uh, during live debates, which is part of the reason why live debates matter so much, because you really get a chance to get a true feel for the candidates and not just what the consultants are trying to produce. And Grimes' impossibility of just simply saying she voted for the president and still had issues with him, and that became an issue of the, uh, the campaign, was entirely a self-inflicted wound. And when you have things like that happening, I mean, the other uh, case is in Colorado that Udall, again, seemingly a, a good candidate and a good representative for his state, has been running a race that is entirely about women's reproductive rights, as though women don't actually care about other issues, too, which he's actually entirely capable of talking to. If he pulls that out, it might be in spite of the campaign but, that he's run. But, but that's part, those are some of the but issues. But, Ron, I mean, when, when, we look, when we look at the races in total, particularly in the Senate races that are key right now, and we're, we're calling about seven or eight key Senate races right now, it almost seems that the GOB got a little bit surprised as the windfall that they're seeing all the way in pulling numbers up to today. How did they get caught almost off guard about this? I don't, I don't think necessarily we got caught off guard. I think that there was always a belief that this was going to be a good year for the Republican Party. But gentlemen, let me just tell you right now, I'm very proud to announce the wave has already started. Because in Guam, the Republicans have just claimed the governorship. And in the Northern Mariettas, the Republicans have retained the governorship. So, Guam and, 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 oh my God, it's a windfall. Let the party start. 
and what Guam, issues do, are, are they running Guam, on? And Guam, I, Guam and Mariana I will buy you next drink if you can tell me <laughs> any issue that is in play in either Guam or the Marietta. Actually, if that's the case, I can tell you one. No, 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 you know, Guam and Northern Mariana's are 15 hours ahead of us, and we're going to know very soon, in less than Chairman three Phillips, hours, where Chairman we're going. Phillips, you are not telling me that the groundswell of Republican success is being lit at the fuse by Guam and Northern Mariana's. I'm telling you that the tide, the water is receding, it's leaving the shoreline. It has already left Guam and Northern Mariana Ron, as we approach as we approach the eastern seaboard. Ron, Ron, you know Get I love you. Get out your surfboards, ladies and gentlemen. Ron, you know We're I going. love you. You know I love you, but you are on crack right now. Alan Moore. Yeah, I want to say something about New Hampshire, um, and, and kind of agree with Dan that I think that that if Scott Brown wins in New Hampshire, oh my God, watch out. I think that I'm guessing that Scott Brown won't pull it out in New Hampshire, and I still think the Republicans are going to end up now. I, weeks and weeks ago, I predicted 52-48 Republican. I'm jumping that to 53-47 now, and that does not include New Hampshire. But but New Hampshire is a great bellwether for, for the reasons Dan was talking about, and because it's it is it is still unlikely. But if Brown pulls that out. That is got to that that is just going to make uh, it's going to chill Democrats' hearts to what the rest of the day uh, and night uh, hold. But Carl Tubin, you know, when you look at the New Hampshire race, when you look at the race in Alaska, where Begich has been seen as largely a somewhat popular senator as a Democrat, and what is looked at is a very deep purple state, you have to admit. The, the the Dems have got to be a little punch drunk from seeing that type of race slip through their hands, possibly. You know, <clears throat> when you have a race where people are running away from the president, uh, some of these people, I think, are going to be hurt by that. Uh, instead of instead of saying we supported the president in certain areas and certain things. We disagree with them on others, and, and and approaching it like that, and and some of this I think will hurt some candidates. Now, Shaheen has been uh, a, uh, a an ally of the president, and uh, <clears throat> I think I think she's going to pull it out. It's going to be close, but she'll pull it out. But Dan, Carl, her... I might I might need you to take that back. The polls are still open in New Hampshire. She has been <laughs> against the president. The yeah. listening public, she has challenged the president whenever possible. Oh, yeah. But Dan Lipner, you have to admit, though, because the president himself has become quite a liability. Maris just put out a poll today that shows that 47% of the Americans that they polled said that Obama's leadership style and management style as president has got to change. I mean, we have not seen this kind of liability. It even makes George W. Bush go, wow, you I actually had it pretty easy. You haven't seen this since 2006. Long time ago. <laughs> Look, long, long time a major, ago. A major thing that you got to take in consideration. Ron Phillips. When you look at blue, blue states like Massachusetts, Maryland, 
and the governorships are slipping through their fingers, right through their fingers. And you start seeing these tremors. You start looking at this polling, and it keeps talking about, oh, this is a very close race, this is a very close race. These are the warning signs when you're watching, as you look at, at, at state houses and governorships in blue states starting to shift, what's going to happen around the world? And, and hold on, hold on, hold on. Let him finish. The, the, what I'm trying to say is, is, is yes, it's going to be a shocker tonight. But when you look back on it, it's not going to be that big of a shocker because you saw the tremors before the earthquake occurred. But, but yeah, theoretically, but, but the, hold on, hold on, hold on. For, for, but theoretically, I mean, let's let's look at Kansas for example. I mean, the Democrats don't even have a dog in that hunt. I mean, they went they went to the courts to say well, I, we don't want a Democrat I, on the ballot. I, I beg to differ on that. But go ahead. But, <laughs> but they got a new dog. They got a new dog. I mean, you've got an independent. You've got two possible independent candidates that could actually pull out Senate races. Is the fact that you've got two independents rather than two Democrats is that going to throw a fly in the ointment as? We look downstream and organizing the Senate for a possible Republican win? I don't believe so, because one, I, I don't believe that Kansas is going to go against Pat, Pat Roberts. Roberts. I think I think that the, the wolf in sheep's clothing has been exposed. The Harry Reid money has been exposed. And I think on election, uh, when the elections close, you're going to see that. But the fact of the matter is, what's occurring right now is a clear distinction with the American people that the country's going in the wrong direction, they want a new direction, and they're voting that way tonight, and it's going to be universal across the country. Carl Tubin. Uh, first of all, the Coakley campaign and the Brown campaign were two of the worst campaigns that anyone has ever seen. How Coakley got the nomination is amazing, uh, and she shouldn't have been the nominee. She screwed up uh, in uh, two years ago. Uh, when she ran against uh, Ed Markey, and uh, she's doing the same thing in this campaign. So these these aren't. But Carl, you're talking about. But Carl, you're talking about one of the bluest states in the country, possibly putting a Republican in the Senate. It's happened before. <laughs> she's, she's become the candidate three times that you're talking about. <laughs> no, 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 hold, on, hold 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 on, Carl, uh, Dan Lipner. Well, first, uh, Martha Coakley's uh, up for governor. She's already lost the Senate race a couple of times. Uh, but let's be clear here. We have other states in play that there's some interesting things happening. Brownback uh, looks like he's going down, and deservedly so. He's destroyed the state's economy uh, w with his radical experiment that even Republicans have endorsed the Democrat. In Wisconsin, Scott Walker is not looking good. In all likelihood, he's going down as well. The, the, the real takeaway from this election cycle is a pox on both our houses. It's being dictated somewhat at a national level because of how the communication strategy and the foxification of news. That said, the fact that the, the that the did you just say the foxification of news? <laughs> yes, the foxification of news. All right, go on. The, 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 the idea that everything is red or blue and there there is no way of actually having a conversation. Fox News has changed the conversation, but that's but that's a topic for a different show. The the, the yeah. MSNBC foxification of news just doesn't rain. Yeah, yeah. Rachel Maddow could be on every show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it, it's just a different beast. Uh, but that said, if you really want to look at it, by the numbers, normal normal people, not the party insider type, but normal Americans hate both of us, which is why more people are registering as independents. And each time a, a legitimate independent candidate 
is hitting the field, they're getting noticed and getting noticed incredibly. Well, Ron Phillips, you know, you talked about the Brownback governor's race. I mean, you've got a situation now in Florida where you literally have, from all accounts out of Florida, two candidates, and it's a race of who sucks less. You have the former Republican governor, now turned independent, now turned Democrat, who could actually pull this out, and Charlie Crist. And you've got Rick Scott, who's constantly one step away from being indicted on financial fraud issues. How does, how does the Republican Party deal with, wait a minute, we've got a slate of slightly crappy candidates, but we still got to get them elected. Well, I think both parties has that. But in the case of Florida, all I can say is, hey, it's Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we, can, we can push that aside. But, I mean, from the standpoint, you're always going to have problems with Candidates who run poor campaigns, and I just I, I I've been entertaining myself in the last week now listening to very good Democrat friends explain to me how this person ran a terrible campaign, that's why they're losing. That person ran a terrible campaign, that's why they're losing, and all like that. Well, when you run a terrible campaign, you lose. Well, let me ask let me ask uh, Carl Tuman. Carl Tuman, is this a situation where we don't have crappy candidates, we just have crappy campaign management? Uh, I think that that is uh, a large part of it. Uh, I think it's a very large part of it. And, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of the Brown campaign, but I know from looking at it and from seeing that he was 18 points ahead uh, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, and now it's, it's, it's nip and tuck as to whether he's going to win or not. And all of that is, we've talked about this uh before, John Kerry had ads against him in the presidential campaign that he never answered. And Brown has done the same thing in this campaign in, in uh, 2014. He had ads put on and, and, and never answered. And he's toppled. And also, the governor has toppled to become very un unpopular at this point. But, Alan Moore, when we look at, when we look at the electoral map across the country, this is a bad electoral map for Democrats right now. Uh, there's a huge, you know, looking at blue, red versus purple, there seems to be a lot of turn towards the Republicans, and it's a bad, bad electoral map and electoral scenario for the Democrats and the president. Well, remember, the, the Senate is where the, the primary focus is because they're, the Republicans are defending relatively fewer seats. The Democrats have a bunch of uh, seats to defend, so in, including in some so-called red states. Um, and so it's going to be a tough year almost regardless for, for Democrats, a challenging year. Uh, and it's turned out that that's the case. What you also have, though, is the Obamification of the election. Is that going to be our is theme today? Is that going to be our so, theme today? So, and the president helped feed that narrative when he said, to the dismay of Democrats 10 days or so ago, when he said, believe me, all these issues that, that we care about are on the ballots everywhere. Well, if we're, I mean, and, if, but if we're going to say that, I mean, there's a lot of concern about the McConnellification of the Senate. And how he could possibly run as majority leader. No, nobody's ever seen him as majority leader, and people who know him and uh, think, "Hey, this is a, this is a grown up and a professional who can be fair." And Reed turns out to be none of those anymore. He maybe once was, but he's gone off the deep end. But I don't think that that's what's driving people. Gee, 
we love Mitch McConnell around the country. Let's make him a majority leader. People don't know who Mitch McConnell is. People do know who Harry Reid is. He's this year's Pelosi. Remember when they were demonizing um, uh, House, House Speaker Pelosi, and she became one of the best, the best known and least liked politicians in the country. And Reid is this year's version from the Congress of of, of Nancy Pelosi. But 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 it's not Reid or Pelosi that matters the most. It's the shadow of a very unpopular president who seems adrift. Now, you don't like incumbents, but your own guy, eh, maybe okay. I don't like him exactly, but I like the president even less. Dan Lipner. Well, Alan is absolutely right. However, there's a clarification on that. That has to do with more with our modern politics. That really the prototype for leadership in either chamber of, of the legislative branch is Denny Hastert. The reason for that is normal Americans had no idea who he was during his entire stay as Speaker of the House. Because of the way modern politics is and the millions of dollars that get thrown around, both in light and dark money, to just demonize people because it works. That as soon as you can identify folks, I have no doubt this will happen to if Mitch McConnell is the new majority leader of the Senate, he will be demonized Overnight, he is not a charismatic person on camera, neither is Harry Reid. And that lack of charisma cannot cannot overcome millions of dollars being spent to turn you into the incarnate of evil representative, making both the, the opposite political side angry and the middle, who doesn't have time to really delve into the issues, go, well, there obviously must be something. There's all this smoke around this year. Ron Phillips, look, there's only one known political leader that's universal across these elections, and that is President Barack Obama. His polling is in the ground. He's become a lead weight for every Democrat. Democrat senator candidates throughout this country has told him to stay home, do not come. I do not. I've never seen where an entire party has run away from the incumbent president as much as the Democratic Party has in this election. They have totally totally stayed out of this. And the fact of the matter is, this is a referendum on Barack Obama Carl, and his policy. Well, I want to talk about that in the I want to talk about that in the second hour. But Carl Tubin. The other thing that uh, to follow up what Alan said, the other thing that Barack Obama said, which which has hurt people who are running away from him, uh, he said, you know, all these people are doing this today, but all of them voted with me when they were in Congress. And well, again, might be part of the problem right now. <laughs> well, most, go ahead. Most of these Democrats who are claiming some level of independence from the president, I tell them when I disagree, most of them have 97, 98 percent voting, vote, voting records consistent with the president. Part of that problem, part of the reason for that is thanks to Harry Reid. There were so few meaningful votes in the Senate that the ones that occurred, you could identify with the president or not identify with the president, and people would have had a much, much more mixed record, curiously uh, enough, have had Harry Reid allowed some bills to come up and have a handful of amendments uh, considered in association with them. But, but Chairman Phillips, when, when we look at the traditional cycles that we've seen in the past two election cycles, including the last big midterms that we saw uh, back in 2010, 
what we're seeing here is a shift from, yeah, throw the bums out, but don't throw my bum out, where now we're seeing a more silent, independent, moderate voter coming out saying, throw all the bums out, we're just going to try and find the less sucky of the bums. Is that a trend we're going to continue to seeing even into 2016? I, I think there's a growing resentment in the mood of the American electric vote right and left that the, the, the dysfunction has now reached such a fevered pitch with everyone all the way across the board that there is this attitude, both sides are to blame. And that's been drawn out in all the polls. I think what we're going to see after tonight's thumping is the fact that you're going to see an election. Did you just say tonight's thumping? Thumping. Let me ask you a question, Chairman. As a member of the RNC Executive Committee, what would you consider a thumping, and what would you consider less than a successful night? What I've been, what what I consider all along, what the night's going to provide is going to be eight eight key wins for the Republican pickups for the win in the United States Senate, and ten seats in the in the U.S. House of Representatives. That, is anything less than that considered not successful by RNC standards? No, I, I think the success is based on if you take the chamber. What you're asking, if you're asking what is a thumping versus success, success is you win both chambers. A thumping is when you start sending people home you never thought you'd be sending home. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough, I think we all are here, that we remember elections where Senate candidates all of a sudden get caught up in a wave and they're no longer with us anymore. And you go, oh, my goodness, how did that happen? I still remember the day when George McGovern got blown away and everybody's like going, how did that happen? So I think the major thing to realize on what is what is success versus thumping is the level of intensity that you have on running the numbers up. The key, the key point for tonight for Republicans is that we definitely need to run the score up as high as we can because 2016 we will be with many seats out in the open exposed just like the Democrats are in 2014. So you better have the seats up so we can be able to withstand the next election cycle. Carl Tubin, 30 seconds, last word. The last fashion of this, this race this year is going to be the question, did the Obama group turn over enough of information to the states to get a tremendous turnout this year? And it, it's going to come from African Americans, Indians, hopefully Hispanics, and others to see whether we can uh, pull this out. Well, we're going to let that be the last one for this segment. When we come back for a second hour, we're going to talk about the referendum for or against President Obama. We're going to dive into some of the policies that might have swayed a Republican windfall in the U.S. Senate, in the House, and in some of the governor's mansions across the country. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., on Election Day. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. So You know, here on Backroom Politics, you hear us order drinks uh, during happy hour, the second hour of Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. But what you don't understand is the quality of the drink that we're getting here at Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Backroom Politics premier sponsor. Hey, you got Dave Hammerly and the bar crew there at Shelley's Backroom that really know how to pour a drink. 
Whether it's something simple like my on-air Jack Daniels on the rocks with a splash of water, or whether it's something elaborate like what has to be the best martini in the District of Columbia for Congressman Al Swift. Wine selection, scotch selection that will blow your mind. They've got Highland scotches. They've got Isla Sky scotches, blended, single malts, anything you want. Port wines to go with that great cigar from the great humidor. Down here at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Come on down, have a drink, and make some new friends. Or heck, just come on down and listen to Backroom Politics on Tuesdays. Here on Election Day, here in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital of Washington, D.C. Hey, uh, we're going to continue our live coverage of Election Day and our thoughts and analysis of what's going on, what could possibly happen tonight, and what we could possibly see down the road. Uh, we were just talking offline. I just gotten a word through a source down in Louisiana that the Louisiana GOP is already gearing up a war room for a runoff. It's almost predetermined 
as of right now, as we wait for CNN to release exit polling at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the East Coast polls haven't even closed, but apparently CNN's got a crystal ball of some kind. Anyway, uh, I do want to talk about a little bit the, the situation in uh, Barack Obama and why he has been so radioactive. Uh, Dan Lepner, let me start with you. You know, Carl mentioned earlier that you know this is this is a, a a president that the Democrats feel that Senate candidates aren't running away. The Republicans highlight the fact that Senate Senate candidates are running away. Uh, is this really a referendum on the policies and the management style of the White House and the president himself? Uh, the policies, no. The communication. Uh, arm of the White House, absolutely yes. Um, and but in addition to that, it's also how this White House has chosen to communicate with its allies. And I'm talking Democrats on the Hill. Um, this administration came in and uh, ha has handled in a remarkably ham-handed fashion uh, its successes. Uh, healthcare reform, while there, there have been problems, there have been a, a number of successes, but its inability to communicate that with average voters and the average person, the American public, is where this a, a, a weight that is absolutely challenging uh, Democrats up and down the ballot. Chairman Ron Phillips, member of the executive committee of the GOP RNC and chairman of the state party here in D.C., uh, is this in fact a referendum on the president and his policies? No question. I mean, all the polling shows it. The president's popularity numbers are at its all-time lows. The country is is overwhelmingly saying in all polling that the country's going in the wrong direction. All this resonates in the ability of voters reaching out and participating in the only voice that they have of running the government, which is the electoral process. So this is now coming up. The issues that we're having Republicans run on are the issues and the failures of the Barack Obama administration. You can't separate the President of the United States from the United States Senate candidates. It's impossible. The Democrats are tied to him. He is a thousand pound anchor that's sinking them fast. And within less than an hour and a half from now, we're going to start witnessing lots of drownings. Well, let's, Dan Lipner, let's talk about some, some, some of those failures. For example, less uninsured Americans. Yes, huge failure there. The unemployment rate is down dramatically. Huge failure there. Uh, gas prices. We are actually going to be a oil exporter for the first time in 30 some odd years. And this is a real thing that the drill baby drill and various different issues that are out there. But we're not talking about the issues. We're not talking about the facts. What we're, what we're talking about is the fact that the president is unpopular. Absolutely. I will not I, I will not argue that point. But if you're actually talking the issues that regular Americans get to talk about and deal with. We're not talking about them at all. Carl Tubin. You know, he came, the president came into office, a couple of wars, which he has tried to uh, extract us from. Uh, the, the, car, the car industry was going down the toilet, and he, he, he brought them back again. Uh, and, you know, he, this has been, and, and you're going to love it, this has been a successful presidency. When everyone goes... Down the years, they're going to come back and they're going to look at what Barack Obama has done for this country. Now, he also, 
has been banged on by Republican leadership from day one. And he's gotten full blast from, from these people. There's never been a president in history, I don't think, who has been so maligned. Except for George W. Bush. As this one. No, but no, except for George W. Bush. McConnell said explicitly nothing was going to get through the Senate on his watch right. with this president. He it's, said that explicitly. That okay, not hold, on, hold on, hold that on, hold on, hold on. not what he said. Alan Moore. Do not mischaracterize. What's the, what's the exact what he, quote? Wait, wait. Alan, hold on, hold on, hold on. Alan Moore. He misquoted. I said that's wrong quote. I'm not, it's not up to me to... To, to tell you, oh, let's find this, let's find this. He did not say that, and I'm and I'm I'm sorry to see that that there's there's some evidence here that Carl's memory is failing him when he says this is the worst uh, treatment that any president has ever got. We we've got a president who the public doesn't like, doesn't trust, doesn't believe in. With regard to the economy, we hear one little fact. Gee, the unemployment rate is down. How many people are working today? Fewer than were working six years ago. We have people who, by the millions, have dropped out of the labor force. The, uh, many Americans, Republicans and Democrats, fear for their livelihood, their future, their kids' future, whether it's jobs, houses, education. They don't feel like their kids are going to have a better life than they do. That redounds to harm a president. Now, Dan wants to give the president full credit for the lowering price of gasoline. I mean, it's interesting that we tend to credit or blame presidents for stuff completely and totally beyond their control. Carl says the president single-handedly saved the auto industry. Believe me, we would have a very, very robust auto industry, with or without the $50 billion that we poured into GM so that it could be propped up at, at the expense of Ford and others who didn't take the money. But whatever, at least we kept GM alive. The people are not feeling good about their future, and they're not feeling comfortable with the extent to which the government can fix stuff, whether it's the rollout of health care reform, what we're doing to, to fight ISIS, ISIL, or whatever we want to call them in the Middle East, the, the VA hospital scandal, Ed Snowden national security leaks. There has been a litany of things. I don't blame them all on the president. Some of them, yes. Uh, certainly the, the, the policy in the Middle East and pulling out of Iraq too soon and dealing with this un, incredible damage. So some places he deserves more blame. He gets some credit for a few things. The, the verdict on Obamacare is out. Yes, there's 10 million more people, we think, insured. We have spent and are spending $100 billion a year to get that kind of result. Now, for some people, that's a bargain. People who don't care about where the money comes from for everything we do, but it was a very expensive, and the verdict's out. On Ron, Ron Phillips, I'll get to you in a second. <laughs> All right. Let's just stop for a moment and clear the political spit, and let's talk about that. Remember, if you like your doctor, you get to keep them. Not true. The health care reforms that under this administration have proved to be more costly. It's not the Affordable Care Act anymore. It's now the Inaffordable Care Act. We have now gone and lost all of that, all of that hyperbole on 
oh my goodness, the uninsured. Oh, they're being insured. They're being insured at a greater cost for all the other working Americans who had an insurance. But, but, but Chairman, all right, all right. Second thing, energy. We're talking about the president that opposes the Keystone Pipeline, and now we're going to pat him on the back and say congratulations. You're now the energy president. He has consistently used the EPA as a weapon to destroy all known energy reliable sources that are in this country. We have been fighting nonstop on trying to be an energy independent country against the Obama administration, not because of the Obama administration. And finally, when we get down to the point where we're talking about the president being maligned, you've got to be kidding me. Never in the history of this country has there ever been a more partisan president than Barack Obama. Hold on, hold on. Dan Littner, before you go there, let me just go to Chairman Phillips. All right, Ron, when I hear what you're saying, okay, devil's advocate. When, when we talk about the ability to have a president push through, now, granted, most Americans feel that these are flawed policies, but it's still the policies of his party as the head of party to get them through legislatively it's been ineffective because, as many see, as partisanship, hyper-partisanship on the baseline of the Republicans up on the Hill. How do you argue that? We fundamentally disagree with the socialization of the American insurance system. I mean, you know, Churchill had a great quote about socialism. Eventually, you run out of other people's money. But and that's why socialism but Ron, hasn't that helped them and, and, work and, and, Hold on. But, 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 but Ron, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Really. Yeah, Ron, let me ask you a question, though. It, it seems to me that Obamacare isn't going away. Anytime we've seen a Republican candidate who's gone after the let's repeal Obamacare, it hasn't been a successful argument. When we look at the Republican rhetoric going on against the president and some of the policies, is it fair to say that the, the silent majority, moderate, independent vote that everybody's trying to corner tonight is saying, look, I see a Congress of no, I see a president that can't get a message out to save his life, where do I have those two come together and see effective government again? You have effective government when you have the ability to move legislation. We don't have that ability with Harry Reid as majority leader. There is no discourse. There is no legislative movement whatsoever. Harry Reid has been the Barack Obama backstop to keep the president from having to write vetoes. The president has had this luxurious of saying, oh, it's all the Republicans' fault and the United States Congress. We're one-third of a three-system. There's a House. There's a Senate. There's a president. The Republicans control the House. You can't blame all the ills of America on the, on the fact of the House of Representatives. You have got to look at this in its totality, and that is what's being done tonight. Carl Tubin, you have to admit, though, when it comes to some of the flawed policies that the White House has put out, you can bring up anything outside the continental U.S. has been flawed. You can bring up the handling of the Ebola issue has been flawed. You can bring up the latest economic numbers, which includes a higher unemployment rate, a, 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 a financial system that, even though Wall Street's having good numbers, a lot of economists still feel that we're walking on eggshells economically and the White House isn't helping this. You, you can't not say that referendum's out there. Well... <clears throat> 
We'll know we'll know what the end of the evening whether the referendum is out there or not. Possibly. Um, <clears throat> the president has done a lot of good things and tried to do a lot of good things. But you know, when you have somebody who has gotten a constant beating from the leaders of Congress on the opposite side of the aisle and <clears throat> and and has never let up. Uh, this is the kind of thing that, in, in my mind, has turned the country against Barack Obama. Part of it has turned the country against Barack Obama. Uh, one one thing about Mitch McConnell is very interesting. A few days ago, he said, <clears throat> I will not try to um, uh, repeal Obamacare. Uh, and he kind of indicated that we were, you know, maybe we'll try to fix it, but I'm not going to repeal it. But Dan Lipner, I mean, you know, we just saw the numbers on CNN's magic wall because God knows we need a magic wall at CNN. CNN showing that both parties, Democrat and Republican, are upside down in their favorability. You've got a 53% disapproval on Democrats, a 56% disapproval on Republicans. You can't tell me that this, you know, even at, even on just the congressional side, this is an obvious sign that the government, led by President Barack Obama, has got a credibility problem. There is some accuracy to that, but I'm not entirely certain it's all Obama. It has to do with uh, the the sabermetrics of politics, shall we call it? And the New York Times actually had a good piece on that today. That the the breaking things down in such a way of constituencies and the micro-targeting that both parties are doing leaves the great middle of America, which most Americans are, um, unspoken to. Yes, Wall Street is not just having good numbers. They're having great numbers. The, as I've joked repeatedly, the Muslim Kenyan socialist has presided over a Wall Street boom that Republicans could mostly only dream of. That said, the socialist agenda that you so, just said... It was a joke. No, I get that. No, I get that. But the argument is that a large amount of Americans feel that he is not going in a traditional political way of keeping America in a free economy, being fair to business, and using regulatory agencies as just that, regulatory instead of enforcement. Almost explicitly, this battle has been against the EPA. And that, well, that's not true, though. I mean, you got you got EPA, you got there are, uh, you got the public, SEC. There's more drilling on public IRS. lands. IRS. There is more <laughs> drilling on public lands under the Obama administration than there have been under the previous two administrations. But Dan, a block of cheese could have been in the White House, and you would have had more drilling. It's a national security not, issue. Th yes, it is a national security issue, which is arguably why the, the one area which I most often defending the president on is where he's handled foreign policy, but th that's not on the ballot at all, and because Americans care about their, their issues at home. The most popular surrogates on the Democratic side are Bill Clinton, not surprisingly, but the other one is very surprising. It's Elizabeth Warren. Because of her explicit desire to, to chuck off most of these social issues and talk about the dining room table issues that affect most Americans. On the Republican side, I'm, that the surrogates have been all over the map, but Rand Paul is one of them as well. And because he does speak to but the, that average American in, in a way that they're not being talked to by 
five majority of Let, let's talk about that. I mean, when we when we do look, I mean, President Barack Obama has literally been incognito, Alan Moore, as far as stumping for not just Senate candidates, but even governor and House candidates. Uh, at the same time, when we look at the Republicans, we're seeing maybe two, possibly three Republicans that are out there. Those two that have been most out there, Jeb Bush and Chris Christie, we haven't seen a lot of Rand Paul. Rick Perry's been pretty much obsolete or out of existence, and nobody wants to see Ted Cruz show up at their party. Well, it, I I re recall at different times in, in my professional life where somebody said, gee, there was a, such and such a meeting yesterday. We thought we'd see you there, but you weren't there. And I said, look, here's, here's my standard rule. I will go to almost every meeting scheduled permitting that I'm invited to, and I will go to almost no meeting that I'm not invited to. That is a summary of why we don't see President Obama. No one invites him. They don't want him. He's radioactive in most places. So he's out raising money. He's doing what he, what he needs to do, given that circumstance. He does, He's not going to say, I know you don't want me, but I'm going to show up. That that would be idiotic. They will be. They will happily take uh, take his money. It's not that unusual that in the that in an off year, particularly in a sixth year, that a president is to some level radioactive. This president is George W. Bush was. It happens. The the, the public is tired and it uh, doesn't want to see him. Doesn't want to hear from him. And and almost certainly. They, they've done some things that haven't worked out very well, whether it was their fault or not. And, and some of that is just part of the American political story, and, that, and that's going on. It doesn't mean that everybody's voting just based on Obama, because the local candidates and the local situation matters, but he is the 10,000-pound uh, uh, gorilla anchor, un anchor. Un underneath that you might still be able bubble, to survive, bubble, bubble. or you may not. <laughs> Thank you for the sound effects, Chairman. Ron, Carl Tugan. He has gone to specific places uh, where he, where they, where the, the party has thought that he would be helpful. Like where? He went to Wisconsin uh, over the weekend. He was out in Wisconsin. And he was in Rhode Island. I mean, he'll go to, right. 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 Yes. Where safe places where people want him to be there because they think he has some value. People make a judgment. If right, they think he can right. help, he's willing. He's got right. the time on his schedule. Yeah, but, he, but, but I want to point out, I want to, no, but I want to point out, though. Also, also, he has raised a ton of money for the whole party. Fair enough. And, yep. and, and for the committees, which is very, very important. Yes. But he hasn't been really fantastic about the get-out-the-vote call. Well, to get out the vote call. Nobody wants him to get out a vote for him. That's not true. No, no, no. no this this one you're wrong on. Why? Uh, the president has actually been used. Dan it's been used a lot for GOTV minority areas, and because it's not on television, uh, it's not being reported on widely. But yes, he is most certainly a GOTV yeah. tool. And, and Absolutely. The, and Michelle. Michelle has been out there on on the listing. Also true. Well, she's the only one in the White House that has somewhat of a positive favorable rating. Uh, and, Ron, Bruce, and Bruce Bailey is absolutely happy. <laughs> <to stay now. laughs> Ron, every state we just listed were states that there are not U.S. Senate races. We're, they're, they're bringing out the president in strategic locations that will not affect the balance of the power in the United States Senate. They're bringing him out in places where he can't hurt the overall national Democratic Party. Let's, 
the, the, I, I can't believe I've lived long enough to hear from a Democrat that Barack Obama is a bigger oil man than George W. Bush. But I have now, as of today, have heard that, you know, 10 gallon hat, Barack Obama is a bigger oil man than George W. Bush. The facts on the table suggest it's true. These are are not some Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Dan Lipner. No, no, wait. Dan Lipner, let's talk about the numbers, though. CNN just showed a number in their polling that says 78% of the Americans that they polled are worried about the economic direction of this country. That's not a glowing endorsement of Obama's economic policies, including those involving energy. And, and, and that is true, that the, the most Americans, when they've talked about the economy, wanted more done. And the inability of both chambers of Congress to get together and actually talk about it, um, it is an issue. The fact that average Americans, the, the, real, the, the, the real middle, has actually been losing ground as far as real and the housing crisis is actually still ongoing in some parts of the country, actually in a lot of the country. And... And one place the president actually does deserve a, a real smack, but it's not being talked about, is how, how the housing issues are still being handled. Because the Republicans haven't offered any solution whatsoever. That This comes back to the issue that nobody is talking about the real dining room table issues that are affecting regular Americans. But Ron Phillips, you know, we just see on the CNN magic wall, all of a sudden, 50% of Americans believe that they're worse off today than they were four years ago or even eight years ago under an Obama presidency. Uh, Obama's is, president eight years ago? Oh, I'm sorry. Six <laughs> years ago. Excuse me. Six years ago. Uh, but, again, the onus now is on the Republican Party to cowboy up and try and prove for 2016, hey, we can fix this problem where you can be better off than you were six years ago. Is the Republican Party prepared, and do they have a plan in place to make that happen? Yes, yes, and yes. I mean, the the biggest number that we're seeing tonight rolling off CNN right now is the national poll that 65% of Americans said the country's on the wrong track. The number one agenda for the Republican Party when it takes control of the United States Senate is you're going to have the House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and the Republican leadership of both those bodies get together and say, how do we get the country on the right track? What are the first they three things they're going to do? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We had a you want to moderate this thing? All right. <laughs> the, the, the fact of the matter is this, what, what I love about Democrats is when they lose an argument, they want to create a new argument. The fact of the matter is... All right, let's not get nuts. The, the fact of the matter is that when the bodies get together, there will be a plan, it will be presented, they will legislate, and they will move those policies forward to the president's desk. We're now going to we're going to get out of this dysfunctional congressional malaise that we have and we're going to have a united congress on a unified agenda presenting it to the president of the United States and you're going to have a clear delineation of the direction of the country. You talk about right track wrong track, you're going to have a republican response to what is why we're on the wrong track and how we need to be on the right track and it's up to the president of the United States to either sign the bill or veto it and then tell the country why you beat it. Alan Moore. Yeah, it, it's a little more complicated than that, um, simply because in the Senate, you still need 60 votes. What that means is it's not that the Congress, the Republicans in the Congress are going to figure things out amongst themselves. The House will move. It'll move some of the legislation, which was not all posturing. Some of it yes, some of it no. It needed to come 
as it would historically to the Senate and get considered, be amended. It's got to have 60 votes if it's important stuff. But there are ways to get that 60 votes if you reach across the aisle. What I see happening is not so that is 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 much more. I'm hopeful here. You know, we'll see if what happens. If the Democrats have to play, uh, not just in the in, in the Senate, but also in the White House. Um, and and the the Senate Democrats and Republicans, I think, will have a more open process. There will also be. Strange as it may sound, I believe more constructive consultation with the White House on what will be achievable. So if you if you can't get the 60 in the Senate, which means somewhere between five and nine Democrats, depending on assuming the Republicans take over, um, you're not going to be able to do that without the White House cooperating. I'm hopeful that we'll see more of that. And we will we will have taken Harry Reid out of the mix. Remember, one of the things he was trying to do was protect his own Democrats from having to have difficult votes that they, they would be slammed by in the current election. Well, we're, we're gonna start over again. We've got a maybe a year's breathing time and we'll see what happens. We can be, I'll be somewhat hopeful if the Republicans take over, if they don't, Watch out. Carl Tubin, last word. Mr. Chairman, for the last four years, the Republicans have um, had the House of Representatives. Why couldn't the Republicans come together with the President and with the Senate in order to have something fruitful happen? The Republicans tried. If you go back and you look, time and time again, the President broke his word and agreements with the Speaker, putting the Speaker in peril with his own legislative body, the Republican body, when the Speaker reached across. The there, is a level, there is a level of distrust on, on, on a numerous occasions between the Speaker of the House and the President of the United States. What I think is the most important thing is what we talked about, Carl, what, 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 where we're at, is the fact that it isn't, the, the future isn't just about this very bitter partisanship this is the Republican plan versus this and along that line. We are going to get to a deliberative body. We are going to dispose of Harry Reid and the power politics that have been plaguing this country. And we're now going to move into a deliberative body that the Senate should be and that the policies come from the House. They go to the Senate and there will be compromise. There will be the ability to pass legislation. There will be the effort to bring forward legislation that parts of it will be bipartisan. There will be parts that are partisan, but there will be parts that are bipartisan, and we're going to move forward. We're going to get back on the right track because we're disposing of the bitter partisanship that's been residing within the Democrats that control the United States. Ron, let me ask you, Ron, let me ask you this question. Hold on. Oh, Carl, Carl, let me ask you this question. Can, can, the, can the Republicans in the Senate convince the, the moderate voters primarily, but the rest of the American electorate, that if you were not changing out one tyrant from Nevada and putting in another tyrant from Kentucky, and can we show that there's going to be some sort of deliberate move and actionable legislative forward in Congress going forward after tonight? I mean, yes, because you hear the greatest complaint coming from the extremes inside the Republican Party that Mitch McConnell is a deal maker. 
you hear the extremes from the Repo side of the Republicans in the House of Representatives <coughs> that John Boehner is a is, is a compromiser. But if you and ask the Tea Party, to, if you ask the Tea Party and the far right radicals in the Republican Party, they'll be the first to tell you that wait a minute, that's not exactly a badge of honor that you want to wear as a Republican. You should be only Republican partisanship. It should be Republican part uh, Republican Party politics a hundred percent of the time, twenty four seven. Small minorities, again, what we're talking about and what we're moving forward on with legislation is the ability, the ability of, we're trying to predict what's going to happen with a new legislative body that's yet been created. My point is... That's the greatness of this show. Exactly. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but, the, but the fact of the matter is, there's going to be change. There is going to be change. What we have today is going to change tonight. All right. Change you hope for. Wait, wait, okay. We're, we got to go to break. <laughs> hope and change. Great. There it is again. When we come back, we're going to continue our last segment, and we're going to continue our analysis of what's happening, what could happen, and tell me a story. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. Wow, a little bit of Fats Waller, Lulu back in town, and I, I tell you, when I am back in town, or when any of my friends are back in town, or heck, when we're living here in town, we usually find ourselves down at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., right across from the National Press Club. Why do we come here? Well, they've got the city's best cigar menu the most diversified with some of the best-known brands and some that you might even know, but you might want to give it a try. Everything from Arturo Fuentes down to Zeno. You can go all the way from your $9 little petite girly flavored cigars all the way up to the Opus X Lost City. They have a cigar for everybody. Mild, medium, strong, heavy. However you want to smoke it, it's available here at Shelly's Back Room. Come in, have Bob, Na, or any one of the girls show you what the right cigar might be for your taste that evening. Again, Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob likes to put it, it is definitely the place to be. You can tell the mailman not to call I ain't coming home until the fall And again I might not get back home at all Lula's back in town yeah. Oh, that woman's back of town. 
Oh, my, 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 my. And we're back for our final segment here on election night in the United States. This is Backroom Politics live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Hey, uh, continuing on the discussion from uh, all night, uh, when we look at the, the the Senate race, we've talked a lot about the Senate races, is is either party going to be ratcheted up or kind of dismantled by any of the governor's races around the country? Dan Lipner? Uh The biggest one for the Republicans, and it might be a boon for moderates in the Republican Party, is if Brownback is actually knocked off for his absolutely terrible stewardship of uh, the Kansas governor's office. Uh, even Republicans have endorsed the Democrat because, lo and behold, you do need money to run services that everyone wants, like schools, and the Kansas economy is really hurting from that. That said, um, never never lose faith in the American voter to get to, to get uh, distracted from substantive issues with fake issues that the Democrat, lo and behold, went to a strip club when he was 27 for a bachelor party, and this has become an issue that very well might save thank Brown God, back. Thank God I don't run for office. Alan Moore... Do you see any uh, governor's races that I don't know be... anything about strip clubs. Oh, okay. Well, uh, rightfully so. But do you see anything that... <laughs> What's these... a strip club? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, if you go down to uh, M Street here, there's... Oh, forget it. Uh, is, is there a sponsor now? No, no, no. Stop, stop. Alan Moore, is, is there a governor's race that would give a little bit of hope to either party that you can see right now? Is there one that's really got them and they're all in on? Well... Kansas is an interesting one. Wisconsin, Florida, those are particularly interesting simply because we don't know how they're going to turn out. They all have sort of unique characteristics. Um, I think it's going to be, a, notwithstanding what happens in, in, in those three, I think it'll be a pretty good night for Republicans. Um, but I, 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 the most likely thing that the gubernatorial races will contribute is some new potential candidates for president that we're not thinking about. I mean, John Kasich in Ohio is somebody who is being thought about a little bit. Um, and But... but uh, who, who else do you but, see that may pop up as a dark horse I, I after tonight? I, I don't... I mean, I don't follow the, gov- the governor's races that closely. I just know that in, in, inevitably... There will be somebody or two or three who pops up that we hadn't really heard of, and then we hear about them, and they start getting some attention and some traction. Um, so uh, I think, again, it'll be good good night for Republicans, and watch out for people you haven't really heard of before to, to start to emerge. Jan Lipner? Yeah, but Ohio is actually a really interesting case study, because two years ago, you would have thought Kasich was in a lot of trouble. That said... He began to moderate himself. He, lo and behold, discovered that there are poor people in a state that actually need help. And but, yeah, let's not no, no, be but, so dismissive of him. The guy was a budget expert. He knew a lot about this stuff. Right. No, he no, did no, some good things. No, no. no okay. I'm, but I'm saying, what I'm saying is, well, without question, that absolutely matters and the substance of it. But also how he began to come across to actual Ohio voters. And Ohio is actually a bellwether nationally. And and there is not a presidential election that can be won on either side without winning Ohio. And Ohio 
is special in a bunch of ways. It is still a manufacturing base in this country. It is still an agricultural state as well. And it is where working people are actually spoken to by both sides. And Kasich went in as a, a, a bomb thrower and has moderated himself, and he is being rewarded for that with his inevitable re-election tonight. And that is something to really make note of. And I would, I would argue that most Americans across the country really want that kind of leadership where you're actually talking to not just your base, but the electorate as a whole. And Kasich, much to my surprise, and I appreciate the fact he's doing it, is actually governing in a different way. Carl, Carl Tubin, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but this Hogan Brown race in Maryland for the uh, governor's mansion in Annapolis has got to be discouraging to the Democrats. That was almost a lock eight months ago, and now it just seems that Brown has either been poorly managed or just a horrible candidate enough to let that lead just slip away after coming in on O'Malley's coattails. As I said, as I've said over and over again, <clears throat> I saw this um, about three, three, four weeks ago, and when I see all these ads for Hogan and nothing for Brown, and, and the fact is, I don't think they raised money in order to do this. They thought this was going to be uh, a lock, a lock, and they really didn't have to do too much, and they got overconfident. And uh, I think Brown will lose, the Attorney General and the Consoler will win, and uh, uh, we'll see what happens. And if, if Brent, look, more power to him if he can win, if they can bring out the, the African-American vote in uh, Prince George's and Baltimore City, and if it comes out heavily enough, it might save him. But I think it's very precarious at this point. Alan Moore, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I don't follow Maryland closely like Carl does, uh, but it is interesting to watch the trend there. I would, though, if you say that there's no ads for Brown, you should move to Northern Virginia. You'll see a lot of Brown ads. You'll see a washed out of visual of Bill Clinton standing there oh, again and again and again and again. And then you'll see some news shots of Michelle Obama towering over candidate Brown, right. making everybody think, Wow, he's, he's, he's really little, short. He's yeah, a, he's a little man. He's a short guy. Not that there's anything wrong with little people. We love little people. Right. We do. We but do. the problem is, and I've said this before, if a candidate doesn't stand up and doesn't tell uh, the, the state and the people who are going to vote what he believes in, what his vision is, that is a minus, a tremendous minus, and he hasn't done that. Well, the other question I want to pose to everybody tonight is, uh, as we look forward, is is there anything going forward from tonight that could be an indicator for 2016 and any success? Or are we looking at a fractured political map that is so much in play, it's just not even funny, especially in key states like Ohio, North Carolina, Florida, and out west? Dan Lipner? I think, well, again, this is contingent upon the, if the Senate does change hands. And if what Alan's hope, and I, I, I am with him on the hope, with, regardless of which way the Senate goes, that it is a productive Congress. If we actually see reforms to Obamacare pushed through, if we see uh, reforms to the tax code, if we see the immigration reform go through, all issues that 
the serious policy types in both parties would like to see happen, then there is a chance. However, if we see impeachment, more tax cuts for the job creators, and if, if we see other issues like that from the uh, less than serious wing uh, of the Republican Party, then we're going to see another two years of nightmares. We're going to see another government shutdown. We're going to see another crisis over the debt ceiling. And the American public is going to be incredibly frustrated. But Alan Moore, is, is, is this a chance for the Republicans to truly get their act together and get smart about all this well, going forward? Well, yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, they've been complaining, particularly again in the Senate, at the, their lack of ability to be heard. Um, okay, if you get the chance, then put up or shut up. And is, I, the, is this a true cowboy up moment for the Republicans? No, I, I, I think that 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 if <laughs> I, I've sort of I've certainly pounded on Harry Reid a lot, a guy who I used to have more respect for, um, but. But I can say that I think he may have done one thing for Republicans and for his fellow Democrats. He's helped show how bad it can be and how bad it gets when you try to shut down the opposition from being heard. It's it's kind of a tradition in the House, but it is it was never it's it's been an increasing tradition creeping up on us that grew by leaps and bounds. Um, with un, under Harry Reid, and in, in my in my uh, estimation, my assessment, and I'm and I'm hoping that that if the Republicans take control, that they'll say, you know something, we said we hate it. Let's show that we mean it. I, I even if the Democrats hang on with 50-50 or something, I'm also hopeful there that enough damage was done. Uh, has been done that even the Democrats, this is really getting into wishful thinking, might say, you know something, we're never going to hear from President Obama again. Let's see if, and there really are some problems in the country that need attention. Can we maybe try to figure out a way to work on this stuff and make something happen? Dan Lipner. So, Alan, are you suggesting and that the possibility of a 50-50 Senate that there will actually be votes that are 51-50 with the vice president presiding that actually go through? Is that actually possible? No, no, no. It's, it's simply my, my point being that they conceivably the Democrats won't lose the majority. But we'll be faced again with a potential stalemate, no matter who's in the majority, to get things done in the Senate, regardless of who's in charge, you need some members of the other party. But to make that happen, there needs to be a level of trust, and a, a trust in people, and a trust in the process, and see what happens. We've not tried it here. But Alan, I just want to follow up on something, though. When, when we look at the Republicans possibly taking the Senate, when we look at the Republicans getting a stronger majority in the House, it almost seems that the Tea Party might be falling away in popularity, that we're seeing more of a move back to moderate establishment level Republican politics. I don't know about moderate establishment. I don't like those words, and those are sort of loaded words. I, I think that we, we've, we've talked about the Tea Party a lot, and I've always maintained that the Tea Party is not a party. It's not 
a monolithic group. But you have to admit, they're just, they're, they are a very vocal force in the way that the Republican Party moves forward. Well, there, there were people who identified themselves, the so-called Tea Party, who were all over the lot, frankly, on some of the policy issues, who tended to be resistors and objectors, um, and, and they are fewer today than they used to be, and both because some... Because some are gone and because others have said, you know something, government shutdown, which we thought was such a great idea, didn't work out, didn't work out so well. They are much more supportive of the speaker than, than they once were. The other, the other point they have to raise is that the <clears throat> Republican Congressional Campaign Committee, in picking, choosing some of the candidates that they did, made sure that these candidates weren't Tea Party people. So some of the people coming in are going to be more moderate Republicans. They might be conservative, but they're not going to be the obstructionists. The total firebrands, and right. some of them had other other experience in government. Again, I come, back, I, I, kept, I, come back, I come back to Joni Ernst, who has explicitly talked about nullification and and the idea of that being a moderating voice in the Senate. That's is, one voice, Dan. One voice is joining an, at least another two, and I, I, I don't want to disparage Rand Paul in this. He's not quite in that world. But Mike Lee and Ted Cruz are both in that world. So, so uh, presuming she pulls it out tonight. Why are you so down on Taylor Swift, Tony Ertz? <laughs> wow, you just took away my story. Thanks for that. I think she's a better okay. singer. Uh, Chairman, Chairman Ron Phillips, last question to you is, and I posed this question to Alan more earlier, but I'd like to, I'd like to hear your take on this. It seems that if, if if the polls and the momentum is in the GOP uh, in in the GOP's favor, the Republicans have a cowboy up moment right now. They can either cowboy up or destroy any hope for 2016 for a possible White House win. Is the Republican Party, as it stands right now, strong enough to come together with a win tonight? And say, look, we're going back to the old school. It's the Republican voice, not Tea Party, Crossroads America, everybody else voice, one unified voice. I, yes, I believe so. I mean, look, I mean, look at where we are today than where we were before when we talk about government shutdowns and, and all that 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 craziness. There's been a level. There's been a leveling off on where we get into hyperpartisanship and how that how that horse runs out of the barn before before we think about it. I, the strong thing that we got to realize is when the Republicans take control of the House, they take control of the Senate, the responsibility to govern shifts to us. And now we're going to have to show what true governing is. And I believe that the Republicans are going to meet that challenge. Okay. Well, it's now my favorite part of the show, and it's going to be abbreviated because we only got less than 10 minutes to go. It's Tell Me a Story, my favorite part where we talk about innuendo, rumor, anything inside the beltway, outside the beltway, outside the beltway that might affect politics. Carl Tubin, in 30 seconds or less, tell me a story. Let's look at 216. In 216. 2016, you mean? 2016. 216, oh. we, we weren't around. But okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot for that. All right. Caesar. Uh, it, it's interesting yeah. that in 2016, the Republicans are going to be faced with a larger class of people running for re-election. And Mr. McConnell is going to be faced with, do I want my people to vote on certain issues that's going to make it harder for them to be reelected. Hopefully, what you say is true. We'll be a good leader. Uh, there'll be cooperation between the, the House and the Senate. And hopefully, 
between the White House. And if it's 50-50 and, and Joe Biden is the, uh, uh, the the vote, he might be able to help uh, negotiate some things because he and McConnell have been able to do that in the past. God, I hope so. Watching Papa Joe just open his mouth, roll tape, it's great radio. Alan Moore, tell me a story. You know, I, I had commented earlier about how presidents – it's just no 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 newsflash here. Get get credit when things go well, and they get blamed when things don't. And sometimes they deserve credit or blame. Sometimes they don't. And I, I wanted to talk about the Ebola crisis, where I think the poor president cannot catch a break. He uh, he relies on the CDC, who messed things up a little bit. We all rely to some extent on the. The World Health Organization, which screwed up overseas, the CDC underestimated what what might occur, and then he was faced with the problem of governors um, taking uh, in other governments like Australia and Canada saying you can't come in here, you can't get a visa from these three countries to our country. Oh my God! In 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 governors, uh, particularly Christie and then the governor of Maine, who said we're gonna quarantine people, and just when it looked like the president who said quarantines are bad ideas because people won't serve, what happens but his own Defense Department says the thousands of U.S. military who go over there are going to then go to Italy and hang out for 21 days in quarantine, mucking up his effort to be responsible. It just shows that yeah, but it, it no matter, is it is 21 days in Sicily. It's not bad duty. No, that's my point. But that's my but it, it's not bad. But it but it totally undercuts this notion that quarantines are bad idea. Sometimes the president cannot hey, catch a break. Hey, look, if the president wants to quarantine me in Sicily for three weeks, be my guest. I'm all in favor of it. Dan Lipner, tell me a story. Well, this, I, I no longer have cable television, so I found myself watching network TV. Um, <laughs> and uh, that led to a, a discovering an interesting player in on Dancing with the Stars. And there is actually a political bend to this. Uh, Sadie Roberts, for those of you who don't know her, uh, she, she is part of the Duck Dynasty clan. And this kind of led me down the road of following the Duck Dynasty folks and seeing since they were they have been rolled out for politics on the right. Could you tell Carl what Duck Dynasty is? Yeah. <laughs> uh, quickly, quickly. So, so for those of you who don't know Duck Dynasty, it's it's a reality show about guys who make duck calls and they're all bearded, religious, right-wing, redneck folks. I didn't say redneck. Wow. I said red wow. state. Red wow. state. Okay, fine. Wow. Um, wow. So red state folks, and so I so while googling them, I also discovered that in Houston there was the uh, stand for Sunday uh, in response to Houston's equal rights agenda for gay and lesbian in Houston. And lo and behold, one of the Roberts family again was rolled out. I am predicting that the Tea Party is not only not dead, but there is a rallying cry that they are still going to live, and we will see one of the Duck Dynasty folks on the ballot someplace, most likely Louisiana, because it's going to be a cry for them. God. Okay. Uh, my story, well, Ron Phillips, tell me a story. Wow. Well, you're a guest tonight. I don't want to put the onus on you. Well, you go know. ahead. Tell me a story, quickly. Here's the best story. Here's the best story. Tonight, my good friend Ed Gillespie, unfortunately, is not going to make the mark 
in taking out uh, Senator Warner. However, at the conclusion of this race, he is going to do better than expected. He will have a sizable, respectable uh, vote block, and that he will be the number one pick for the gubernatorial nomination for the state of Virginia in 2017. Interesting. Good call. Wow, that's breaking news. We might have to tweet that. My story tonight is uh, this week marks a very momentous occasion in backroom politics history. This week officially marks the fourth year that we have been doing this broadcast. As a result, on Thursday, we are going to have a special edition at 4 o'clock p.m. on Thursday where we're going to kind of relive a recount of what happened tonight and election night, and we should have some big political names coming through, including uh, former Congressman Vic Fazio. Uh, but we've been doing this for four years. We've had great guests. We've broken news once in a while. But it's just a testament to the dedication of everybody around this table and the support we get from all of our listeners. It's all largely been word of mouth. And we're looking forward to the next four years of watching backroom politics be successful. Uh, we're going to be making some. We're going to be making some new moves and getting some new website action going. We're going to try and continue giving you the best political talk show you've never heard of. But to think that this show started at a table in a cigar bar in downtown D.C. four years ago, never thought we'd still be doing it. And thank you very much for everybody's support, all your kind words, and your continued listenership. With that being said, on behalf of Carl Tuvin, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, special thanks to D.C. GOP chairman and member of the executive committee for the RNC, Ron Phillips, Chairman Phillips, thank you very much. Always appreciate you having on. I am your moderator, Radio's Justin Russell. We will be back next week. Actually, we'll be back on Thursday for our special fourth anniversary show. And, of course, we'll be back next Tuesday for our regular broadcast. Live from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Alan, take it for Bob. The place to be. Absolutely. We'll see you on Thursday, America. Go. I hope you voted. Make every vote count. And you can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our website, www.backroompolitics.org. And you can email me with any thoughts, comments, complaints, justin at backroompolitics.org. Have a great election night, America. Bye-bye.